0: would be helpful if you could turn to chapter 2 of Ephesians for the benefit of the visitors who are here and there are a great many visitors I wish you'd just turn around right now and look you'll be surprised at how many people we have when students are not here and you're real good looking too uh, uh, we have been starting a, a, a series in Paul's letter to the Ephesians uh, this letter was a circular letter It went along with a companion letter, the letter to the Colossians. And uh, it has to do with the great things of God. And uh, in it, he will begin to show us how God has worked in us to call us to salvation and enable us to appreciate that great gift of salvation and then how we are to work out the dignity and the power and the joy of that calling in Christ Jesus. Uh, There is a great prayer that begins at verse 15 of the first chapter uh, which is one of the most moving prayers in all of the Bible. And in it Paul prays that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. In other words, we're not playing at church But we are called in Christ Jesus To live out the hope of that calling Which has called us to a holy life Now then look at chapter 2 verse 1 following And you were dead in your trespasses and sins In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world According to the prince of the power of the air Of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. Indulging the desires of the flesh. And of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. Even as the rest. But God. That's an important uh, uh, departure here. But God In order that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of his grace In kindness toward us in Christ Jesus For by grace you have been saved through faith And that not of yourselves It is the gift of God Not as a result of works That no one should boast For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. When you deal with Ephesians, you also deal with the doctrine of predestination when you deal with the doctrine of predestination you get asked a question every week (laughs) someone asked me last week how do you reconcile the free will that man is supposed to have with the predestination of God uh... Charles H Spurgeon who was a Baptist and they always have good answers (laughs) uh... Spurgeon said I never try to reconcile friends uh... God's uh, uh... God's sovereignty and our free will work together. We used to have a wise old man who lived here in Montreat until he died, whose name was Kenneth Foreman, the senior, and Dr. Foreman used to have a great illustration. He said there was a man who was out one day trying to take some water out of a well, and uh, he fell over into the well and uh, caught hold of the rope that was used to pull the bucket up to the top. He said this rope went up and over uh, a windlass and back down onto the bucket and you pulled on one side of the rope. He said as long as the man held on to both sides of the rope at one time he could come up the rope. But he said if he should choose to hold on the side that the bucket was on he would go down. If he should choose to Hold on to the other side; he would go down. But if he held on to both, he could climb up. Now that's about as close as I can get to <laughs> to explain it. Uh, uh, the The Lord's uh, rope means that you hold both sides. It's it's all there in the scriptures. You don't. Uh, that's a revealed doctrine. It's something that we accept on faith. How God works His grace uh, in us, leading us unto Himself. That's why Paul prayed in the first part of that prayer I prayed that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened That you may know what is the hope of his calling And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints I was thinking about inheritance I remember inha- inheriting a beautiful picture uh, Once of a mission out in California that I love very much and have at my house And uh, the other thing I inherited was a uh, another picture of an adobe house out in Texas. You can see I moved to the west for in there. And uh, then the other thing was a a sweet old guy in our church left me a thousand bucks which helped a lot one time. Outside of that, my inheritance is out of the Bible. And uh, uh, then the inheritance there that we all have in Christ is very rich and very deep and we may draw upon that inheritance. And when we draw upon that inheritance and recognize it, God blesses us for it. And uh, it honors him. I was thinking how tremendously things have changed. Um, We don't give enough credit to God. We are trying to construct all these marvelous plans for saving the human race. But we're not praying nearly enough about it. We need to look to God And in him are more Than all of the wisdom and the riches that we need And the inspiration and the power And the authority to work That's why Paul just uh, puts one adjective on top of the other When he describes Christ at the end of chapter 1 of Ephesians As being far above all rule That's archon for ruler all above all authority that's the kind of power that can give you uh, a pardon from the penitentiary it's authority that's written out and dominion and every name that is named all of the Greek words here for authority and power are used and they are all bound up in Christ and he says he has a name that is above every name that is named not only in this age But also in the one to come. He has put all things in subjection under his feet. And gave him as head over all things to the church. And that we must remember. Remember last week I told you that when Queen Elizabeth became queen. uh, She received an orb that represented the world. And on top of that orb there was a cross and the moderator of the church of scotland and the archbishop of canterbury were to remind the queen of england that the greatest gift god had given to man was the bible because it tells us of the savior of the world and that that orb that globe with that cross on top of it represents the fact that christ will rule over all things and that every knee shall bow to him and uh... All things are to be in subjection to him. Now look at verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest this is not a very complimentary picture of the person who is outside of Christ because it shows him as a person who is dead in trespasses and sins have you ever wondered why certain people have no interest in spiritual things I had an atheist professor when I was in the uh, West Texas University in Texas. He was a Frenchman, a very brilliant man, a scintillating lecturer, and we used to get into tremendous arguments. But he used to say, God never speaks to me. The only thing that I could say to him was I didn't blame God uh, for not uh, speaking to him, which was probably a reverend on my part. but. Uh, He was that way Uh, Anyway When you're dead in trespasses And sins you have no appetite For spiritual things Uh, Often we have funerals here And there's a coffin In the head of the Chapel here And a person dead in that coffin Has no appetite You can walk up and offer him a, 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 A glass of Johnny Walker he doesn't want it Uh, You you can uh, uh, offer him the finest steak He's not going to eat it Uh, You can offer him two tickets to the Asheville Symphony He won't take them He doesn't even smell the flowers that we put around You know why? He is dead And there are people who are dead spiritually They are dead in trespasses and sin They have no appetite for spiritual things And uh, no interest in spiritual things. And Paul says such were some of you. And he says this. That you walked according to the prince of the power of the air. Of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. One thing that you do. When you're under the spell of the devil. Is that you disobey God. You disobey God. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, the devil's tactic was to lie. He is always a liar. He is the father of lies. And so he seeks to deceive us away from trusting in God to cause us to listen to him and to what he would have us to do. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh The prince of the power of the air appeals through us through deceit He appeals to us through our own flesh He knows what our fleshly desires are and so he seeks to get us to indulge the desires of our flesh and of our mind And probably nothing demonstrates this more graphically uh, than television today. And if we take our cue from the world and our agenda from the world and our values from the world, then we uh, will be walking under the spell of the devil and not under the spell of God, not under the power of God but under the power of the evil one you were by nature children of wrath he says here even as the rest this is what we are when we walk in these things and this uh, is a walk that is evil and a walk that will only bring to us trouble and can only bring to our world more confusion and more harm But we are thankful that in verse 4 he says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love wherewith he loved us. God does something about us when we're in that condition. Where we have no appetite for spiritual things, where we are dead in trespasses and sins, God takes the initiative. God here does like the Samaritan did to the wounded Jew on the road. He showed mercy. Mercy is love that does something. It's not a sympathetic feeling. Beware of feelings that you do not give expression to. One of my favorite writers is a Russian by the name of Anton Chekhov. And Anton Chekhov has a play in uh, which he has uh, a coachman seated on the carriage of a very wealthy countess who has gone to the theater in Moscow to see uh, a play the coachman is sitting there with the snow swirling around him and his hands are numb they're blue and red from the cold he's waiting on the box of the driver's seat of the coach while inside the theater the countess is watching a play and being performed on the stage of the play is a scene of imaginary poverty. And the Countess is daubing her eyes at the imaginary poverty that exists on the stage, while outside her coachman is freezing, sitting on the, the seat waiting for her to finish the play. You see, we often imagine things and think that because we have seen something that this has made us better. It doesn't make us better until we do something. And this is what Paul will begin to explain to us by the Holy Spirit's power as we go. God does something. And what God does, he recreates in us. He recreates in us the will to die to self in order to live to him. That's what salvation is all about. It's being saved from those past sins that we were in when we are dead in trespasses and sins and it's being saved from present sins. He is working in us now but God being rich in mercy because of his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive with Christ By grace, that is unmerited love, you have been saved. That's a good word. Saved. You have been saved. And raised us up with him. He quickened us with the power that brought Jesus back from the dead. And seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus is reigning in his place right now. He is at God's right hand. I remember two little girls who were once over in England and they were looking at, I think Queen Elizabeth is a very beautiful lady, and they were looking at this picture of Queen Elizabeth. And one said to the other one, what is she doing? And the other one said, oh, silly she's reigning <laughs> well, well God is reigning in his place we may think he is doing nothing but he is reigning he is ruling he is working his purposes out as year succeeds to year and we are with him in heavenly places we pray to him and he is not unmindful of us here this morning He knows that when we go away and we've heard a sermon about how we have been saved through what Christ has done. How we are being saved through his working on us now through his word. And how we are yet to be saved in the future when we shall have finished with this life. He is working constantly. And he wants us to be aware of that work in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith he wants us to know this beyond the shadow of a doubt that we have no room for boasting you know what started ruining the presidency of the United States libraries because they want to leave some little footprints on the sands of time to show you how great they are and then they sit back very humbly wait till you've been dead a while even God doesn't judge a man till he dies Uh, uh, this aggrandizement always from the pyramids on uh, will we'll get you into trouble uh, the works idea the boasting that comes uh, he leaves us no room for boasting we can't boast about salvation if he chose us before the foundation of the earth because you didn't do a whole lot before the foundation of the earth And so we're not saved there. We are going to do works, but those works are going to give evidence of the life that is in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he is seeking to make clear to us here. In order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. This is what Martin Luther found. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. That excludes boasting, that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them that's good works that are continued in him and that's what we want to move to and to think to sin worked against us in the beginning that's verses 1 through 3 There's where Satan's lies defeated us. God works for us when he sees our needs and calls us unto himself and saves us through Christ. That's verses 4 through 9. God works in us is that verse 10a that I've just read. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works you see he is working in us there and when he works in us there he has raised us from the dead and he is working through us into the future and this to me is a great blessing because it shows the continuous work of salvation he has defeated the work of sin against us. God's work is for us. God's work is in us and God's work continues on through us. And how does it do how does it work? Well, he wants us to recognize our inheritance, our riches in Christ. We have the power of prayer, the access to God through communication. We have the riches of his word to instruct us in his will. We have his companionship with us. He promised never to leave us alone. We have the assurance of his love that uh, uh, Charles and Rob were singing about a moment ago. These surround us, and Paul reckons them to be riches. And that's a great thing to call upon The bank of heaven Is our resources and our riches I can remember a time years ago You know I was thinking I, w- I tried to get a check cashed at the bank the other day And you can't hardly get a check cashed anymore uh, Unless you've got an account at that particular bank And can prove it I thought they were going to get me for a minute Just because I asked to cash a check And I had to fumble around trying to find the account number, which I can never find, and uh, uh, all of the things. And I couldn't help but think of years ago, uh, when my wife and I had gone away to, uh, were going away to seminary, we'd been without a car for a long uh, time. Uh, And uh, we we needed a car, and so I'd made arrangements to get the money to get a car. And I was going around to various dealerships, and it, it was a, um, 1954 Plymouth Savoy with a radio and heater. I memorized it. I went to every de- dealer I said, I don't have any trade-in. I want to pay cash. I need a Plymouth, four-door Plymouth Savoy with a radio and heater. How much? And so I'd just go from dealer to dealer. But uh, I, would, uh, uh, I, I would try to get them down in the price. Uh, and uh, I remember going to Sulphur Springs, Texas on December the 31st in the afternoon, just before 5 o'clock when the books were closed for the year and I saw a typical Texas Wheeler dealer and uh, he came out and said, uh, you want a Plymouth Savoy with a radio and a heater and I said yes. And he said, you want to pay cash and I said yes. And he said, um, okay here's one right here, you can have it for $1,750. Well I'd seen one like it that had some little feature that I liked a little more in a town named Cooper, not far from there. And uh, I said, uh, my older brother were with me, and we talk over these monumental transactions, so I said, do you mind if I step outside and ask my brother about it? I knew he'd given me a rock-bottom prize. And he said, buddy, do you want to buy a car? And I said, yes. And he said, okay, I'm going to do a very foolish thing. I'd like to get another car on my year-end sales, which stop at 5 o'clock this afternoon. If you want that car, you can have it for $1,700. And I said, let me step out here and talk to my brother. He said, if you put your hand on that door, it'll cost you 50 bucks. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I I, uh, I said, uh, (laughs) said, okay, wrap it up. (laughs) I'll take it. And then I remember how I got into this was that uh, I said, You know, I'm going to have to give you a check. And it's going to be on another bank. And it's not going to be on me. I'm going to write a check on someone else's account and put their name and then put my name under it. And I said, If you want to call out there, they'll tell you it's okay. It was four or five hundred miles away. You know what that guy said? He took the check and said, You got an honest face, take it. <laughs> And I've often thought about that. Now you can't even cash a check. And and here you go through. Well it was nice to have resources that could be drawn upon. Of grace. And what Paul wants us to do is to draw upon the resources of Christ. What he offers for us. We can write on him. For the deepest needs. And there are needs that are far greater than. Uh, than those for a car. Uh, There are needs that exist in our families. There are needs that exist in this world in which we live. There are needs in our valley and in our community and in our church. And he wants us to know uh, that his love for us reaches to those needs and that we are freed up to come to him. And asked him to meet those needs. Now I started by telling you about a dead man. You were dead in trespasses and sin. You remember when the prodigal son came home? His father said to him, this is my son. He was dead and now he is alive. He was lost and now he is found. Do you remember when Lazarus was in that grave? And Jesus came and called with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And whosoever liveth and believeth in him will never die. He has that power. And he called Lazarus forth from the dead and Lazarus came forth and they had to come and take the old grave clothes off of him well he is telling us as believers who have been called from the work of sin which caused us to be dead and trespasses and sin he calls us forth to life in Christ he quickens us and he wants all those grave clothes taken off And he wants grace clothes put on. The clothes of grace. He wants us not to live anymore in those old rags that are described in Galatians 5 as works of the flesh. That are lying and quarreling and lusting and drunkenness and drugs and sorcery and all of that. And he wants us to have love and joy and peace and gentleness and meekness and faith and temperance and self-control. That's the difference in the works of the flesh, and the works of grace. And this is what we are called to in Christ Jesus. Our big job, pretty good title for a sermon in a Presbyterian church, is to get out of the graveyard. (laughs) Our Heavenly Father if any person here this day has felt your spirit at work in them calling into question whether or not there really has ever been the great transaction made help them to know that you have said him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out help them also to know that you are willing to save unto the uttermost those who come to thee by Christ Jesus that as many as received him that is Christ to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to as many as believe on his name and so father if there is some person concerned this day about their salvation and we pray that there will be then lead them to that salvation in Christ Jesus, which is salvation from start to finish, which redeems us from our past and enables us to embrace Christ now and gives us every promise of finishing that work in eternity. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and our guide Be and abide with us all, both now and forevermore.